Hello, I'm Kristen Perisonotto. And I'm Hannah Ferguson, and we're co-founders of Cheek Media Co. This is the Weekly Cheek Podcast. I had one um, Labor member say to me, Amy, I'm so bitter that you won. And, um, you know, it's such a shame. And uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> horrific. <laughs> yeah. They came up to you. Okay, welcome back to the Weekly Cheek Podcast. Today we are here with Amy McMahon. You are the MP for South Brisbane That's and right. a member of the Greens Queensland. That's correct. So Thanks. thank you so much Thanks for, for joining having me. us. Thank you. Um, we will, unless you have something that you'd like to say at the top end, we'll get right into the questions. Go ahead. All right. Cool. Um, I guess for the first question, something I wanted to ask you was, um, it's quite undeniable from an outsider's perspective that you're, you know, the subject of a lot of bullying in parliament from both Labor and the LNP. Mm. Do you think this is sort of politics as usual, or do you think you're being specifically targeted in parliament at the moment? A great question. I guess to start with, there is, um, a, it's a quite a terrible culture in Parliament. If you've watched Question Time, Federal Question Time or State Question Time, you'll have a bit of an insight into, uh, into how this works, but it's quite different when you're on the floor of the chamber and um, you're watching it or if you're at the receiving end of it. And I really didn't realise how bad it is in there, um, in the chamber and also in the rest of the building. So, um, you know, there's a lot of argy-bargy that goes on. There's a lot of yelling. People are trying to be clever and witty and... I think one of the problems is that a lot of it's really easy in there to forget that the chamber isn't the main game of politics and a lot of people start to think that this is where politics happens um, or at least a, a section of politics happens and you know people are trying to get one up on each other and um, you know there's a lot of yelling and name calling and um, yeah so there's there's this really a very old culture that comes with our um, our form of democracy, and this really is very uh, you know male dominated, and it's a particular way of communicating that um, you know is very confrontational, um, and it you know it that kind of influences how politics happens in general. Um, so we've got that, and then the the treatment that I've gotten, um, which has at times been quite rough. Um, hearing from um, my colleague Michael Berkman, who has had it a year longer than me, he does think that the treatment that I get is worse than the treatment he's gotten. And uh, it's it's one of the things that people often comment on me. They will have seen bits of videos, they'll have um, you know, read snippets of transcripts, and people are shocked. They're shocked by um, you know, the the way that people have responded to me. And um, Look, I, I do assume there is some aspect of animosity that is quite targeted and personal to me because of the nature of the election and also because of the, the position that the Greens occupy in, in Queensland politics. We are, um, you know, really trying to hold both of the major parties to account and we're not holding back on our critique of um, both the LNP and Labor. And um, I think there's a level of scrutiny there that they're not used to, and uh, and so the the response we get, um, you know, has been has been quite rough, and you know, yelling in the chamber, but also um, 
outside of the chamber as well. Like I had one um, Labor member say to me, Amy, I'm so bitter that you won. And, um, you know, it's such a shame. And what? Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> horrific. <laughs> yeah. So they came up to you? Yeah, yeah. The, and this, directly said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's horrifying. Um, this was like in the chamber but like at, in like a personal interaction. And um, so people are willing to say stuff like that. Um, and I really thought, oh, you're sort of telling on yourself there. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think there's a few layers to this, but I think underneath it is just this this very old-fashioned um, culture. And, uh, you know, we have school groups that come in and watch Question Time. And then, we, you know, if it's a school in our lecture, we get to go out and talk to the school kids. It's one of the really lovely things that we get to do. And nearly always they're like, why were they talking to each other like that? Like little primary school kids. In Victoria, they've actually um, stopped bringing primary school groups into Parliament for this reason, because the teachers just had too much of a hard time saying to the kids, I know you've just seen the leaders of our state doing that, but that is not acceptable behaviour. Mm -hmm. And so they've just said, um, no more kids uh, in the chamber, um, because it's just, it's too confronting. That's, whoa. <laughs> but, how did you respond to this person? Can I ask that? How did you respond to this person? Um, look, I said, I think my community's pretty happy that I'm in. I mean, Obviously, I won the election. Were, yeah, exactly. The response that I've gotten since the election has been very warm. Um, you know, I I get, uh, I have lovely interactions with people in the community all the time who are really excited about having a Greens voice representing them and are really excited about the kinds of things that we're pushing for. And there is a part of me that thinks, you know, if we're getting under the skin of the major parties, it's because we're hitting on something true. And so it's sort of uh, a signal um, to keep going in a way. Yeah. Well, I think because um, I was actually going to ask when you said it's not just uh, you know, in Parliament, it's the, in the whole building, mm. you said. And I was going to ask, you know, is that what, they, do you know, what is that, what does that mean? But you've obviously answered that already. So, because I feel, even though, and um, when we interviewed um, Jono on the podcast a couple of weeks back, he said, you know, in the chamber, there's, it's all this like political theatre, I think mm, he said. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though a lot of the public is not actually watching, they're kind mm. of performing for public. Mm -hmm. And so I do understand, you know, whether or not a lot of people are watching or not, that is kind of the, you do have to, you know, stick with your party, you know, that's mm -hmm. the kind of mindset. But then to take it outside and approach you in your, you know, mm. I guess you're still, it's not your personal life, but on a on a one-to-one -one, mm. um, is really interesting because then, from my perspective, I just wonder who is that for? Yeah, like yeah. you're not up there performing, you know, constituents are not watching. Yeah, that's right. Um, and at the end of the day, as you said, you won the election. It's not mm. really, it's not, you know, specifically about, you know, you as a person. It's mm. not about the previous MP in this seat. It's yeah. about democracy. And yeah, it's, yeah. Um, that's right. And uh, for me, this also is reflective of uh, a sort of broader situation that we've got in politics where our, our leaders are very disconnected from everyday people. They're very disconnected from the lives of, of everyday Queenslanders and the kind of challenges that people are facing and tend to be much more conservative than the general public. And I think the 
behaviour in the chamber is just one example of that because, as I said, it's really easy to start to believe that that's the main game, but it's really not. People aren't watching Parliament. They're not watching what goes on inside there. They're not seeing the clever things that people try to say. Um, but so much time and energy is put into that. And I think that is just reflective of how disconnected our, our you know, political class has become from everyday people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that people, and we do talk about this a lot on the podcast and on our website, mm-hmm. um, people are not are choosing more and more, I think, to disengage from politics mm-hmm. because, you know, the general public, particularly people who read, you know, Murdoch media, which mm-hmm. is, everywhere in Queensland and people who only engage with politics when they're, you know, watching clips yeah. on social media and things like that of, um, you know, something like question time is, mm. a, is a bad one. People think that that is being a politician, is yeah. that. But, you know, you've obviously just said a lot more goes on mm. outside. Could you maybe give us an example of some activities that you would do in the week that on a non-sitting week? Yeah, so non-sitting weeks are usually taken up with a lot of um, engagement with the community. I'll have a lot of meetings with um, community groups, with um, various organisations that are um, doing stuff in the community, a lot of meetings one-on-one with constituents um, to, to talk about particular issues. Um, So a lot of the time is just taken up with um, meeting people and hearing about what's going on and then seeing what we can do to support people. So we're writing a lot of support letters. Um, You know, we're getting in touch with um, other ministers to advocate on behalf of people. Um, We're advocating for funding. Uh, so that, that's that's really the bulk of our time. Actually, is is supporting um, people one on one, and then sort of what what we can do in terms of bigger structural change. Um, so supporting community campaigns, um, running our own campaigns around various things that are going on in the electorate, and um, engaging people in in various different ways. So hosting our own meetings. Um, just as an example, this evening I'm going to meet a group of residents in Kangaroo Point who are concerned about a, a heritage-listed house mm-hmm. that um, there's a proposal to demolish some sections of the house, which basically opens up the opportunity for a developer to develop on the site. So I'll go and talk to those residents, and they're quite keen to find out what kind of other advocacy they can do. They're not really satisfied with just writing submissions. They know that that's not very useful. Um, And so they're keen to know, you know, should we organise a meeting? Should we organise a rally? Should we go to council? Uh, So supporting communities who want to get more active is, is a big part of what we're doing as well. And um, on the topic of rallies, I know that you've been either organised or been part of quite a number since you were elected yeah. in October, November, October, October 31st. That's right. I knew it was yeah. so close. Um, uh, what is the point of a rally? What is yeah. the I, you know, the optimal outcome? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I my own theory of change uh, rests on the idea that. It's not just enough to have good people in Parliament, um, you know, who are receptive to change. You need these grassroots movements on the ground that are mobilising and expressing that power on the ground for change to happen. Um, there's some really fascinating um, political science research 
that looked at uh, different countries in the world in terms of um, legislation around women's rights and they looked at, you know, what were the key aspects that made that change? Was it having women in positions of power um, or was it having independent movements on the ground that understood power and, um, and were pushing for change? And that was the really important thing. It wasn't just enough having good representatives in power. Um, you needed these movements on the ground. And so I think rallies is one tool that a group has available to it to express that power um, and to be pushing for change uh, and to, to not only um, be letting other people know about what these issues are, but, a, you know, an actual demonstration on the ground of, of the kind of change um, that we need, as well as direct action like, um, you know, blocking access to places, um, slowing down work on a site, you know, finding ways to, um, you know, make a company lose money for a period of time. Um, and so I think this is a really important expression of, of how we can do it. It's not the only way. And I think there is a bit of a risk in thinking that rallies are sort of the only tool we have available to us. I think a lot of us who are involved in, um, you know, all kind, different kinds of movements have been to some very sad and depressing rallies in the past. You know, for some time, the refugee movement were, um, you know, really out at sea. And, you know, I, I had been to many um, you know, quite depressing rallies with, you know, a handful of people doing a well-trodden circuit around the CBD. And you really didn't feel that much change was happening. But mm -hmm. then I've been to other rallies where you really felt like, you know, anything was possible and, um, you know, you were really pushing for something. Just, just this morning, actually, uh, there was a rally outside um, the convention centre where there's a weapons expo called Land Forces going on. Mm -hmm. And the intention was to disrupt and so to use all different methods to, to disrupt that and slow down the course of the day. And the, the rally was very well attended, very active, and they were successful in disrupting um, the course of the morning, um, you know, Peter Dutton was inside, um, all the delegates were coming inside and couldn't miss what mm -hmm. was going out, going on outside on the ground. There was lots of media attention. Um, and so that was kind that's, that was quite a dynamic rally, yes. um, where there was, you know, this kind of direct action going on, um, so, yeah, I think this is one kind of exciting tool that communities have available to them um, to express that power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, um, and this is just speaking from my personal experience, people can be very excited to attend a rally, mm -hmm. especially a big one. Yeah. But then, you know, things can kind of peter off quite quickly. And, yeah. you know, if there's not something else that's, you know, in quotes, exciting yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, so I think that a lot of the time the follow-up from the rally is also really important, you That's know. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people who do organise, uh, you know, say to when they have a crowd accessible to them, you know, you're going to go home and do this, write a letter to mm, your MP right. or, you know, share this post yeah. on Facebook or talk to people around you, yeah. blah, blah. So I yeah. think it's um, – I find that a lot of the time a well-attended rally is also just a bit of an activator for mm. people. And they, you know, you meet people who are like-minded, yeah. which I think is encouraging. And it's just a, works. Yeah, a great tool to 
like a launch pad as yeah. well as hopefully having impact on yeah. the, the actual yeah. day. I think one of the important things is to have uh, like specific things that you're pushing for. Um, if you think back to the Women's March, for example, there didn't seem to be any specific things that we were pushing for. It was more about, um, you know, listen to women and hear our stories that doesn't always make change. Uh, you need to have some specific asks that you're putting out there um, that kind of bring cultural change to meet legislative change um, to actually have the outcomes that you're pushing for. Yeah, agree. That actually kind of moves me into my next question, which is about you're currently surveying Queenslanders in regards to their um, opinions on you know the sex education, yeah. relationships education that yeah. they received in school. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that Queensland should have a uniform policy or curriculum um, in educational facilities surrounding um, consent, relationships and sex? Yeah, absolutely. This the, the response to that survey, which we only launched yesterday, has been overwhelming. We have over 300 responses. Uh, like I literally put that on online at 4pm yesterday. Um, So that's like 24 hours. Their response has been overwhelming. Um, And I think this is because we have such a huge gap in our education system. And people, people's lives have been directly impacted by the lack of information that we have around sex and consent and healthy relationships. We've seen so much discussion in Queensland and, and the Australia more broadly around, um, you know, the the epidemic of domestic violence and sexual assault that we've going we've got going on. I think a lot of people have recognised that the cultural change that we need has to start in schools, and um, so I think absolutely we need um, some uniform. Um, Uh, approaches to how we do this in both primary schools and high schools, talking directly about um, affirmative consent. A lot of the responses to the survey have talked about the need for um, LGBTI-focused information. A lot of people have said that the the sex education that they got was very heteronormative in nature and doesn't reflect the the lived experiences of young people. you know, big gaps in terms of talking about STIs and contraception and um, what to do if um, if you do get sexually assaulted, how do you get that kind of information, healthy relationships, how do you um, navigate relationships. Uh, so I think this is really important to happen in schools. I think we, we recognise that we need legislative change in this space. One of the things that we'd been doing was pushing for an affirmative model of consent to be in legislation in Queensland. Legislative change is one really important part of change to go hand in hand with that broader cultural change. And I think schools are a kind of ideal place for this to happen. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the affirmative consent model that really wasn't pushed through in, mm. in Queensland Parliament, but it looks like it is going to be pushed through in New South Wales Parliament. That's right. Which is yeah. pretty instrumental yeah, at the by moment. by the Conservative yeah. government. Yeah. Crazy. Mm. Um, <laughs> But, you know, obviously you've um, made a lot of submissions to Parliament, you know, around renters' rights, Mm. um, the affirmative consent model, youth justice amendments. Um, And what do you think is the biggest issue that's facing Queensland at the moment? I think housing is one of the big ones. We've got, um, you know, we've got a huge amount of people who are at the very acute end of the housing crisis in terms of homelessness and um, people who are in insecure housing. Um, people who are sleeping rough, 
um, in, you know, something like 47,000 people on the social housing waiting list. Some people have been on that list for years. Um, and then, you know, you move further along the spectrum and you've got um, thousands of Queenslanders who are in housing stress. And this is where you're paying more than 30% of your income on either rent or mortgage. Uh, you know, this is this is a huge issue. We've got so many people who are right on the brink of of being in a very difficult situation. If interest rates change or if their rent goes up um, or if the cost of living goes up, and this has a flow-on effect for every other aspect of your life. You know, shelter is like right down the bottom of that triangle of need. And um, and so if you look at, look at someone who is sleeping rough, for example, um, there's historically there's been an approach like, okay, well, first you need to like clean yourself up and, you know, maybe deal with your drug and alcohol issue and like start to look for a job and then you'll be entitled to have a house. But those other things can't work if you don't have somewhere safe to live. And similarly, if you're in insecure housing, you're worried about paying the rent, um, you're worried about covering your mortgage, um, it's really difficult for the rest of your life to feel secure. And so I think this has to be... Um, something really, really key. Um, uh, you know, we've been talking about, um, you mentioned renters' rights, we've been talking about investment in social housing, and then federally, our federal colleagues talking about, um, you know, issues around negative gearing, for example, and ways that we can make housing, both both renting and, and buying, um, more affordable and more accessible. Um, in a wealthy state like Queensland, no one should be suffering um, homelessness or, or insecure housing. Um, so I think housing is a big one. Um, it's something the government could definitely address if they wanted to. Uh, we saw over, over the COVID period, um, lots of people who were sleeping rough were housed in hotels. You know, we can do it when we want to. Um, we just need to keep that going um, beyond like the immediacy of a pandemic crisis. Uh, so that that's one of the big ones, that, uh, and then obviously climate change is the other um, really major issue, and all the all the issues that go hand in hand with how do we do a just transition in a state that has relied on um, on coal mining for so long. Uh, you just need to look at a city um, like Ipswich, for example, to see what happens if you don't do uh, a managed transition. It's devastating. Um, it's devastating for generations if you don't have a plan in place for how you're going to, to help people. Um, and so not only the, the impacts of climate change, which um, you know, we're already feeling, but how are we going to support these communities um, to do the kind of big transformative change that we need? Mm. Um, so you touched on, or not touched on, you talked a bit about housing. Mm. Uh, and I know that there's a bit of like a line of conversation at the moment. I know that the Olympics is kind of technically decided upon by um, the council, mm. but talking about how if we do have the Olympics in Brisbane, mm. it could actually drive those prices up yeah. even more. Is, do you yeah. have any, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. This is a, a big concern for us at the moment. So we'll find out in July if Brisbane is the host city for the 2032 Olympics. And the proposal uh, at the moment is to have the Gabba Stadium as the major stadium. And we've been looking at 
um, information from um, other parts of the world that have hosted similar major events, um, Olympics um, and other big events, and looking at the impact that this has on house prices and rents and council rates as well. And um, like the evidence does show that there is a really significant impact on the neighbouring neighbourhood around where an event is going on. Um, property developers swoop in because they want to be able to, to cash in on all the money that's coming in around major events and it can really transform the neighbourhood. Uh, this neighbourhood um, actually felt something similar during the 88 Expo and a lot of people that I've spoken to have talked about how that really changed the neighbourhood and that at that time increased house prices and really changed the neighbourhood in a lot of ways. And so we've been really concerned about the, the lack of consultation um, and the potential impacts that this could have um, on the neighbourhood. And, um, and we're sort of launching a bit of a campaign at the moment to get some good feedback from the community about what they think about having the Olympics because no one's ever asked us. And then what we can do in terms of looking at housing affordability, but also what other kind of infrastructure should we be pushing for if we have to shoulder a major international event that will be hugely disruptive, what other things should this neighbourhood get um, so that the, the community can stay coherent throughout this. It would be absolutely devastating and if, as if at the end of the Olympics, you know, people have had to move out and renters have had to move out to, to further suburbs and, um, you know, property developers have been able to completely transform the neighbourhood with no say from people living here. So that's going to be a big bit of work uh, that we'll be doing potentially for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Do you have a kind of an official stance, like a for against somewhere in between when it comes to the Olympics? Mm. Um, my personal stance is against. I think that there isn't a strong enough argument for, um, you know, why we should be hosting this. The government have been talking about um, the, the economic and um, jobs benefits. We've been asking for evidence of where they've been getting their figures and estimates from, um, and we haven't gotten any information yet. I think there's much better things that we could be doing. I, I mean, the, the stadium itself is going to cost a billion dollars. A billion dollars could go really far if you wanted to make childcare free, for example, create thousands of jobs uh, in the childcare sector. If you wanted to properly fund our state schools that are underfunded at the moment, if you wanted to roll out, uh, you know, properly publicly owned renewable energy, for example, like a billion dollars could go a long way yes. and it will go into one stadium. Um, and the Olympics itself is a kind of a short event. Um, this is a bit of a sugar hit as opposed to a sustainable plan for the future of Queensland. Uh, so that that's kind of my, my personal stance. Um, but if we're if we're likely to get the Olympics, we'll find out soon. Uh, it's looking pretty likely. What should we be pushing for to make sure that um, that this neighbourhood gets what it needs um, to weather something like that? So I think we'll be pushing this kind of like anti-stance um, and then seeing what what else we can get um, mm -hmm. out of those negotiations. Yeah. And um, this podcast will be out uh, 
after the budget, the mm-hmm. Queensland budget is out. So I yeah. think that because I think when we talk about a billion dollars, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to conceptualize. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that once the budget comes out, we'll be able to compare what yes. else a billion dollars can, yeah, can yeah, yeah, purchase. Yeah. Um, That's right. Or even the the federal budget you can have a look at yeah. what else we can do with the billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I did want to kind of go back a little bit to, uh, you know, being a woman in parliament. Mm. If you, if I were to come to you today and say, I'm thinking of running for state government, mm-hmm. would, what would your advice be for me? I would say absolutely do it. Um, I would say, uh, you know, make sure you're very well connected to, to your community because it's your community that will help you through the tough times. Um, I think that's that's really important, being able to come back to your home community and know that you've got a really supportive network on the ground. Um, I think if if you are really confident in what you're fighting for and you really believe in the kind of vision and future that you're fighting for, um, it does make a lot of the other stuff worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've only... I'm really at the beginning of this journey, um, but it has been very eye-opening so far. Um, So I'd encourage people to, to, you know, go go in um, not naively, um, but with some understanding that it will be tough, um, but that it's really worth it. And to also remember that, you know, we're not in there for ourselves in Parliament. like I really pity anyone who, you know, had a personal ambitions of power and then ends up in parliament because it's it's not at all, um, you know, an easy job mm-hmm. um, or an easy ride. Uh, so anyone who's gone in there just because, you know, you're going to get a good income and you've got a bit of status, uh, you know, so I feel very sorry for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but remembering that you represent a community and, you know, you represent a whole lot of people on the ground uh, who are in desperate need of change. Um, and we really need more diverse voices in in Parliament, um, not just for the sake of having diverse voices, but we, because we need people who are connected to diverse communities who will fight for those diverse communities and fight for the interests of of people on the ground. You know, we desperately need more women in parliament, but we also desperately need more people who come from working class backgrounds. We need more people who um, live with disability. We need more people from, um, you know, diverse multicultural backgrounds as well. Um, And not just for the sake of having representation, but so that we have people who will be fighting for everyone else yes. on the ground. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something that's kind of been a bit lost is that parliament, government should represent the public. Mm. And at the moment, it's not particularly representative of mm. a diverse Australian public no, or in this no. term, Queensland public, that's right. you know, Brisbane yeah. public, whatever the case yeah. is. Um, I understand that you're ca- you campaigned for quite a long time leading up to the election. Mm. What was harder? Is it was it harder campaigning, or was it harder kind of in the in the job? Um, the job is much more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think partly because when you're an outsider candidate, 
uh, the expectation is really from yourself and your party and the people around you. But once you're in, you're carrying um, the 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 hopes of of a of a huge number of people of a whole electorate, and um, that's a very serious responsibility. Uh, to, to take on and you know you want to be representing people well and you want to be fighting for people and you want to be um, you know uh, actually demonstrating the things that you said you would do during the election be fighting for those things um, directly uh, an election uh, you know it, no one really expected us to win um, and did you think it, you were going to? No, 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 no. Really? <laughs> no, no. I, um, I, it might have been a bit of a protective thing, but because mm-hmm. I'd been through the 2017 election, we'd gotten very close and I'd lost. And um, I think that, that was helpful also to, you know, to, to be putting in the work to think, you know, I don't want to get very close and lose again. Um, and so I think that kind of, um, that's kind of a protective mindset to yeah, think course. you might lose. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, yeah, this is, this, it, it's, it, it is more challenging being in the role, but at the same time, I feel exceptionally lucky to do this. I mean, this is, this is the work of my life to, to be in this fight in this way. And I feel very lucky to have found the pathway through which I will make change in the world or try to make change and to be doing that the the absolute best um, that I can do that. Uh, And, you know, it's tiring tiring and exhausting at times, um, but the kind of transformative vision that we're fighting for, um, I think, you know, warrants that exhaustion and warrants that hard work. And when you talk about the fight that you're mm. in at the moment, do you feel like the majority of the commentary or backlash that you face comes from Labor or the LNP? Um, probably, uh, like definitely a bit of both, but um, I think Labor in a, in a different way because we are we are a direct challenge to to Labor seats. Um, and for good reason. I mean, the Labor Party has really let people down in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the the distance between the LNP and and Labor is very slim at the moment on lots of different issues. You know, look at climate change, look at housing, um, look at their federal welfare policy. Uh, you know, the, look at youth justice that we've just had to deal deal with um, in in Queensland and you think, well, you know, I could swap this party out for the LNP and if the LNP did it, you would just be like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. When Labor do it, it feels like a betrayal. And um, and so when we come in with a, a credible plan and we're willing to fight for these things and we're willing to be very connected to the community and, um, and understand what the community is going through, I mean, that this is why we won in Maywa, this is why we won in South Brisbane, and it's why we'll win in other seats down the track. Um, and, it, you know, I think Labor shouldn't be naive about why we've won. You know, the, it wasn't through trickery. It wasn't through lying. It was by putting forward a vision um, that they just haven't put forward. Um, and so I think that's part of uh, the reception that we've gotten and you know they're right to be worried 
um, because our movement is only growing and we will pick up seats at the federal election, we'll pick up more seats at the next state election. And we have a plan that doesn't, it isn't just us, uh, you know, um, holding the bastards to account. Uh, it's not just about holding the major parties to account. It's about transforming Queensland um, and one pathway through which we will do that is eventually a Greens government. Mm. And you just said a little bit just before that um, when Labor kind of moves more conservative, it's it's a betrayal mm. or something to that effect. I don't mean to put words in your mouth. Um, do you, I think that a lot of the time we're seeing from, from our perspective, a lot of Progress, progressives will keep, hold people who agree with them to a higher account than the other side. Mm. Um, and I don't, in my opinion, that's not something that, you know, happens kind of on the other side of politics. Conservatives mm. don't tend to do that very much. So as, you know, a more progressive party, I, the most progressive party probably you'd say in Australia, mm. do you feel as though you need to be of a higher standard? Oh, look, I think we need a higher standard right across the board um, in in Parliament. And um, we we are setting out a much more um, progressive and transformative vision. And, um, and you know, maybe people are um, holding us to, to higher standards. Um, usually that's coming from, um, you know, diehard Labor supporters who are trying to pick apart any like a tiny little thing um, that we're doing. And we've definitely seen this in the past. Um, like I think it, that le less so from, from everyday people who, as you mentioned before, are very disconnected um, from the community. Um, but, you know, we our leaders should be held to a very high standard. Our, our, our political representatives should be held to a very high standard um, and, you know, maybe there is, uh, you, you know, if we see particular things from the LNP, we think, well, that's, that is just the LNP, mm -hmm. that's right. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe the Greens are held to, to a higher standard, um, but it's, it's usually sort of within that political bubble, I'd say. Is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, look, I guess just to say, if, if you're excited about any of the things that I've talked about today, like do get involved. Um, there's lots of different um, ways you can get involved in this movement. You can get involved in the in the Greens directly, but there's lots of other organisations on the ground that are pushing for change. Um, and as I said before, you need uh, that representation in Parliament along with these strong social movements on the ground. Um, but change is only going to come if we have a big enough movement um, to express that we have, we're up against some really fierce enemies, um, not just in other political parties, but in, um, you know, big corporations and lobby groups who have a direct interest in, um, in, in maintaining the status quo and um and in finding ways to to screw everyday people out of everything that we deserve and so this movement needs everyone don't be disheartened it's easy to to want to switch off and i completely understand that as well but if you have any um you know any kind of spark of hope inside you um, there is a huge movement of people who feel the same way and there's lots of lots of things that we need doing, um, lots of conversations to be had 
uh, lots of work to be done and we'd love to have you on board. Awesome. Thank you. What a lovely note to end. I was hopeful, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, we need some hope. Um, and also anger. We always say stay yeah. angry. So thank you so much for joining thank us you. today. Thank you. Thank you very much. the time. If you found us just totally relatable and quirky, come back next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, head to cheekmedia.com.au to tide you over until then. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>